following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Today we're in Matthew chapter 2, and we'll look at the first 12 verses. Have you ever heard this question asked? What is the meaning of life? Or maybe it's a closely related question. Why on earth am I here? Maybe you've heard that asked. Maybe you have asked that question. And these are questions that, uh, I mean, everybody thinks about that, I believe, from time to time. You wonder what your purpose is. You wonder what's the meaning of everything. And what's so important is not so much the questions, but it's the answers. And not just the answers, it's where you go to find the answer to those questions. Because as you probably well know, the world, the culture, has their own set of answers to those questions, their own perspective the world offers a much different perspective on questions like that than Scripture would offer. And the problem with that is not so much that there's different answers, it's that the, the answers the world would offer us are often maybe uh, desirable, maybe attractive answers. The only problem is they're wrong. And that makes it even more difficult. If it was blatantly wrong and not a desirable thing or an attractive thing, then you know, we wouldn't be tempted to follow the path of the world as opposed to the path that God gives us. But you just start looking through Scripture a little bit, and then you find things like Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it only ends in death. And that's a constant theme. There's a way that seems right. We can look around us and, and think, oh, well, that, yeah, that sounds all right. That, would, that, that wouldn't be too bad. Well, if it's a worldly perspective and it ignores Scripture, then you can pretty much rest assured the consequence somewhere is going to be negative because it, de it denies the truth of Scripture and the direction of Scripture. Here's an example. You could go out um, anywhere in any town where there's people gathered. So we could go uh, on a weekday, I, you know, where, where we might you find a lot of people. You could go to uh, a restaurant. You could go to the bake shop. You could go to Tyler Brothers. You could go somewhere in town where you might find people coming and going. And all you'd have to do is ask. And eventually you'd hear these answers. What, what do you think the meaning of life is? What's important in life? What's your purpose? And you might get answers such as, well, um, you know, I want to I get an education or I want to learn a trade. I want to get a job. I want to make a good living. I want to get a, a decent home. I want to have a decent car. I want to have a, a good family, you know. And, and all these answers, there's nothing um, intrinsically wrong with those answers. 
But if those things become the end-all, be-all, the highest priority, where does Jesus fall into all that? You know, where, where's the God priority in those uh, self-centered... Now, like I said, they're not necessarily bad, but they're, think about those answers. When you hear answers like that, I want a good job. I want a good income. I want a, a decent home. I want a good car. I want a good family. I, it, it's, it's all focused inwardly, right? Now, let's, um, let's do a little quick, quick survey. I have some scriptures here before I read our passage in Matthew. And you don't have to turn there. I just want to read a couple of them to you. There's an alternative to the world's answers. For example, Psalm 16, verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life, God. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I didn't hear uh, a lot of I in that. How about this one? This comes from Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who keep His commandments. His praise endures forever. How about Proverbs? You know, Proverbs is a great book for wisdom, right? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or how about one last one? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see the theme developing here? There's a, a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. You, you, you make your priority and your goal the things of God, and things turn out far differently than they would if you were to just focus on, this is what the world says equals success, this is what I want. Right? If I have these things, if I have this kind of setup, if I have uh, a good job with I'm making good money. I got a decent car. I got a decent house. I got a good family. Uh, my children, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I live in a good location. All these things that equals success. How does that work, though, in real life? Like with people with uh, that may have more unlimited means. You know, studies have shown that uh, those who are most wealthy in our country tend to be those who are least fulfilled, least content. You know that old phrase, money can't buy happiness? But it can rent it, supposedly. So this good news is that there is an alternative. There is always an alternative to what the world offers. And on Christmas Day, that seems a lot more uh, important to consider what the culture says about Christmas versus what God says about Christ. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that is right in God's eyes, and it leads to eternal life. 
Let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, for a, a message entitled, Wise Men Still Seek the King. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. For all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And this is a quote from Micah chapter 5. Verse 2, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king... They went on their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that you will open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, give us clear understanding of this word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to worship you truly, to obey your word, and that you'd be glorified in all of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the big deal? I mean, really. What's the big deal? Can't we just live our lives and just kind of, you know, just play it by ear, just kind of do what we want, and everything will be all right? Can't we just live... And we get to the end of our lives, whenever that might be, and if our good outweighs our bad, we're all right. Doesn't that sound okay? Well, it's not. Because that is a solution that is developed from a worldly perspective apart from God, apart from God's Word. That's not at all what the Bible tells us. But that's the the type of seemingly harmless word that comes from the world, comes from the culture. But the Bible tells us a different story. In this passage today, in chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel, we see two main ideas. Seek the king, worship the king. It's really that simple. Last week, we saw two very simple things. Jesus saves, Jesus is God. Very simple truth. And this week, it's seek the king, worship the king. Also, very simple, not so simple to do. Simple to see and understand. So let's see what the text tells us today. In the first six verses here in this passage, 
of chapter 2, we see that these magi arrive in Jerusalem. And they've been following this star. They've been on a journey. So understand the time frame here. When they're, when they're arriving, Jesus is no longer a little baby. Okay? He's a toddler at this point. Okay? And so you'll see that later when it says they came into the house. Okay, well, he, he wasn't born in a house, right? We know that. So this is a, a, a bit later in the story. This is why, by the way, Herod would send his soldiers to try to kill all the male children two years old and younger because he's trying to cover his bases. Uh, and that's, that's a little foreshadowing in the story, but he's trying to cover his bases so that he doesn't lose out in his leadership role. So these magi, these wise men, as it were, they arrive in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. They're seeking this king of the Jews. They're following a star. They've been led this far. And this child, I want you to see the language here, verse 2. There's no debate in the mindset of these wise men about who they're looking for. You notice that? They don't just say, hey, we heard this baby was going to be born. There's kind of a big deal going on about him, a lot of publicity. Uh, you, know, you know anything about that? Look what they say in verse 2. He has been born king. So that, that's a settled truth in their minds. They're going to a, uh, an earthly king, Herod, because he's the authority of the day, but they're looking for someone who is, has been born, the king of the Jews. That's kind of a big deal. So imagine you're Herod. Imagine these travelers show up, and you're supposedly the king, and they say to you, hey, uh, we're looking for the king. And he's like, hey, I'm, uh, that's me. And No, 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 not you. We're looking for the child who's been born king of the Jews. Can you imagine how threatened he would have felt? How uncomfortable and awkward that conversation may have been? So these travelers, they're looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. He wasn't going to become king. He is king. Right? That's a settled truth. Leon Morris writes that the words they use mean born king, not born to be king, as it's often said. They're talking about what he is, not what he will be. By the way, wasn't Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? Jesus is king long before He became a human, right? Jesus created the world. He's king. There's no debate about that. That's a non-negotiable. So they saw the star in the east. They came to worship Him. And understand, these were... Gentiles who had traveled to worship the king of the Jews. Interesting. Gentiles were, you know, had been excluded, right? The gospel had not come to them. But these were Gentiles traveling to worship the king of the Jews. So the Jews had the whole Old Testament scriptures, and yet they didn't recognize the Messiah. And the Gentiles, these particular Gentiles who were without the Old Testament Scriptures, apart from God, they're following this star and they're going to find the one who had been born King of the Jews. They've come to worship Him. Which shows us a very important 
personal application point, okay? This is for us. Formal knowledge of the Scriptures does not in itself lead us to knowing who Jesus is. Alright? I can take this book and I can treat it as a completely academic exercise. I can read it. By the way, today's December 25th, right? That means we have six days left in 2022. Next Sunday morning is January the 1st, right? So, I'll just use myself as an example. I've been following this Bible reading plan. So, i got six days left and I will have read through the whole, this entire Bible. Old Testament once, New Testament twice. Because that's the, what the plan did this year. Okay, so I could take this as a strictly uh, an academic exercise. I could read it, I could study it, I could know a great deal about it. But I could do all that and not know Jesus. If I treat this just strictly as information, and I don't trust the, the God of the Word, I could read the Word of God and not know the God of the Word. You know, that, and that's a terrible, terrible danger for studying the Word and not ever opening up your heart and letting God get into you, to who you are. It's not just intellectual knowledge. There are people, in fact, there are people who would be self-described as atheists who do not believe in God, but they have read this Bible uh, and they uh, are trying to use it to disprove the things that you know that they're against. Here's a um, a newsflash that may be unsettling. Did you know that all of Satan and his demons have more faith about who Jesus is than many who profess to be Christian? Just let let that settle in for a minute. They have no doubt who Jesus is. Read the New Testament. When Jesus shows up and, and there are demon-possessed individuals, you know how they react. They're scared to death. And they identify Jesus, Son of God. What have you to do with us? You know, this, you know, they're, they're afraid because they know who they're dealing with. There's no doubt in their minds. If only every believer... We're that sure and confident about who Jesus is. This is not an academic exercise. It's far, far more than that. So Herod, the earthly king, heard about these magi, the wise men, and he was troubled, and the Bible says all Jerusalem was troubled with him, but he was more interested in saving his throne than he was in saving his soul. He was not interested in truly worshiping this one who had been born king. He was interested in exterminating this child so that he could retain his leadership and his position. That's all he wanted. So you can see as he's contriving this, this uh, story about what he's telling the Magi to do. He's not interested in Jesus other than to find him and do away with him. So he's troubled, he gathers the religious leaders, he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. So he's asking his own folks, 
And they told him, they corroborated the story, they told him the Christ would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They quoted right there in verse 6, Micah, the, the minor prophet, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, that tells us where the Messiah is to be born. And here's the thing. Their failure to believe was not due to ignorance. Israel knew precisely where the king of the Jews was going to be born. But it was the Gentiles who came to worship him. See, they had access. They just didn't recognize what was going on. So the Magi give us the true example. Seek the king. Seek the king. Number two, worship the king. Worship the king. Verse 7. Herod calls the Magi together, has a little secret meeting, and he asked them when they saw the star and how they had followed it. And then he sent them to Bethlehem to find the child and report back to him. But he had very dishonorable intentions. We know that. Herod had already schemed to kill all the young boys of Bethlehem. So the Magi proceed on to Bethlehem. They followed this star until it came to rest over the place where the child was. You can see that uh, on verse 9 there. The star came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They came into the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary. They fell to the ground. They worshipped him. They brought gifts to him, which is all a... It's, it's a fulfillment of Scripture. All throughout the Old Testament, you see these little um, statements being made that are pointing us to this moment. Psalm chapter 72, verse 11. Let all kings bow down before Him. All nations serve Him. And then in the great uh, prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, in verse 6. All those from Sheba will come. They'll bring gold and frankincense, and they'll bear good news of the praises of the Lord. So here's another interesting note. You know, there's a lot of different uh, man-made religions, denominations, different uh, beliefs about different theological truths. One in particular that is fairly prominent in the world uh, is Catholicism. And that particular belief system elevates saints, who they call saints, that they... Uh, venerate them and, and almost revere them as, as if they're equal to Jesus. They also uh, revere Mary in a, in a very unbiblical way, making Mary equal to Jesus, calling Mary sinless, which we, she was most definitely not. And so the interesting thing here is the Bible tells us that when these magi show up and they get to the house... Verse 11 says, They came into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, now I want you to pay very close attention to what they do. This is a detail that could easily be lost. They go into the house, they see the child, they see Mary. But what did they do? They fell to the ground and worshipped Him. They didn't worship Mary. They worshipped Him. They worshipped Jesus the Messiah. And only Jesus the Messiah. 
that, that's a, it's a very important point for us to know that the, there were other people there. Surely Joseph was around. Mary was there. They're in the house where Jesus is growing up. But they, there's only one person that's worthy of the worship of mankind. And that's Jesus Himself. So the Magi then, they present their gifts. They return to their own country but they had been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. So the Bible says they returned to their own country by another way. So you see how God is providing throughout this whole story for every little detail. He's providing for Jesus to fulfill all the prophecies that were written about Him in the Old Testament. He's protecting him by keeping him away from Herod. And, and we'll see next week how they flee to Egypt, which is another part of the plan that is also another fulfillment of prophecy that keeps Jesus out of harm's way until Herod dies. And so everything about this story is God-ordained. It's all planned out just the way God intended it to be. So our two main points in this Larger passage, these two paragraphs. Seek the King, worship the King. If you seek Him, you'll find Him. And when you find Him, you should worship Him. He's the one. He's the only one who's worthy of our worship. You know, I, I thought a lot about this day, uh, Christmas Day, this celebration falling on a Sunday. And there, there was a lot of talk in the culture about churches and what they should do. Should they uh, cancel their service? Some churches have. Have foregone the, the gathering of God's people on Sunday morning. And, and here's what... There was even an article in the New York Times about it uh, that mentioned, you know, quoted several different church leaders, denominational leaders. Uh, one, I think, was interviewed even from the Southern Baptist Convention in that article. But, but here's the thing that, that I've kind of come to terms with in my own life and, and, and I don't know how, what your opinion is about this, about, what, about us gathering on, on uh, Christmas Day but, but here's my opinion and you take it or leave it Christmas as a celebration is a good thing but it's not ultimately necessary worship on Sunday morning as the church, the people of God is a good thing, but it is also a necessary thing. We gather on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrected Christ. We don't, we don't not get together on a Sunday because some cultural celebration conflicts with that. Does that make sense? you understand what I'm trying to say? And if you don't agree with me, that's perfectly fine. I'm not, I'm not here to... To, to make that argument. I'm just trying to tell you what I feel in my heart, that the worship of King Jesus is primary. It's a priority among God's people. We gather because it's good for us, but because Jesus told us to. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our gathering and singing His praises and being obedient to His Word, sitting under the teaching of His Word, that, that's, that's not just beneficial. That's obedient. 
And so, uh, I don't see, I don't ever see a reason why we will not gather on the Lord's day to worship Him. I just, I, you know, whatever, I don't hold anything against any other churches or pastors who choose to do that. But me personally, I'm just, just not doing it. Jesus is worth more than that to me. So the question that comes before us based on this passage, on these truths that we've been presented, what are we seeking today? The wise men, they were seeking the king and they found him and they worshipped the king. What are we seeking? Where are we looking to find fulfillment or satisfaction in life? What's our goal? What's our purpose? You know, we started off with those questions. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Well, I can tell you in simple terms what the purpose of mankind is is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is the chief end of man, as it were. Glorify God, enjoy Him forever. And, and by the way, that wording is intentional. How are we able to enjoy God forever only through salvation that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ only by forgiveness of sins the only way we will have eternal life in heaven with the Lord Jesus is by surrendering to Him by seeking the King and worshipping the King surrendering to the King we don't get to fulfill our purpose without doing that. If we're apart from Christ, we're unable to fulfill the reason for which we were created. You want to find satisfaction? You want to find fulfillment? Look to Jesus. There's no other place to go. There's no other place to find those things. The Bible tells us that everything the world has to offer will ultimately, at some point, disappoint us. But if we seek the King, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, we'll find that fulfillment of Psalm 16, verse 11. We'll find fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Friends, the only source of true life is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There, there's no other place to go. If you're here today and you're questioning some things, maybe you don't know your purpose or you haven't found meaning in your life, I can only encourage you to look to Jesus. Just look to Jesus. If you, if you seek the King, you won't have to look anymore. You'll find everything you ever needed in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And more importantly, you'll find forgiveness. 
You'll be reconciled to God. You'll find eternal life. And you'll fulfill your purpose to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. So on this Christmas morning, don't delay. Don't put it off. Seek the King. Worship the King. Say yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.